when you're 20 years old, you don't think about your knees hurting. You don't think about any of that stuff, you know. And and I think you just uh, maybe maybe not mindful, but make a decision that you need to play easier. You have to because you don't have have the. I, I knew a long time ago I would not have the endurance to play like I did when I was playing in pop bands and rock bands. You know, I'd come home, man, everything would hurt. You know, uh, my playing situation changed, although I still go back and play some of those gigs. You just play them a lot smarter. Warning. This episode contains adult language and adult humor. Since when have trumpet players ever been considered adults? If you are easily offended by these types of conversations, consider switching to the oboe. Welcome to the Trumpet Gurus Hang podcast. I'm your host, Jose Johnson. My guest for this episode is Jim Manley. Jim Manley is a trendsetter. Jim has been teaching virtual lessons and cranking out home studio projects long before it was in vogue. Since 1992, Jim has released a staggering 22 projects that keep the trumpet exactly where it should be, up front and center, and often in the stratosphere. But it's his insightful approach to efficiency that really separates him from the rest of the pack. So, pour yourself a big glass, pull up a chair, and let the hang begin! Hey, welcome to this episode of the Trumpet Gurus Hang podcast, and uh, I am joined by my good friend, Jim Manley. Jim, How it is so good Oh man, it's been too long. Yeah, it's been, been a while. It's been a minute anyway. You know, it goes by so fast. Oh yeah, yeah. I think uh, the last time we saw each other was ITG in Columbus. That's right. That's right. I remember that. Yeah, that was the last one I went to. Yeah, it was it was drivable from St. Louis. So yeah, yeah. So uh, that that was that was a good time. And actually, and that was I think it's the last time I got to see our our mutual uh, friend. Our you know, oh sadly departed friend uh john so yeah. yeah that was uh man that was a shock uh to to lose him he's a great player and a great guy you know there's just so the great thing about those itgs are well first it's all trumpet players so we're that's all, the bad that's the bad thing about it what are you talking about <laughs> you can't explain to a salesman at best buy how hard the trumpet is to play so you're with friends that know the story yeah yeah, so it, it, it and those are epic hangs and oh, um uh, you know and and that's again this that's the 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 biggest thing about what I try to to bring with this podcast is get people in on the hang, you know, because right, it's right. it's not it, but it's not all just talking trumpet, you know. There's a lot of talking trumpet, but there's just it's life in general because uh you know, it that's what I, it, I trumpet think, is part of our life. Yeah, and I think that's what happens at the ITG too. It's not all trumpet. I mean, you know, trumpet 80% of the time, life 20%. Yeah. Yeah. So we could sit down and, and, you know, have a, have a steak and a steak and a, a bottle of whatever and, uh, and just, just commiserate with each other. Yeah, it's so, a great time. Yeah. So uh, what, what do you have going on these days? I know that uh, you still have been actively recording. You're a prolific, prolific recording artist. I think what well, you have 22 or 23. I, I, uh, no, I think it's, I think it's 19, but I, I, you know what I meant to, I meant, I knew you were going to ask me that and I meant to go on my own bio and count because I lost track because the last, I just about one a year since uh, I start doing them at home because I didn't have the privilege of doing them in a big studio with a, with a label or a producer. It's just all, everything's changed so much, but I, I think it's 19. I, I, I it could be 20. I'm, I'm not sure. 
Yeah, you, you just, you're so busy. You can't, you lost, you lost like all your millions. You just lost count of all the money that you've made. Yeah, well, there is no money in it. <laughs> that part I can tell you. Uh, people don't want to buy music anymore. They love to listen to it, but not so much buy it. And I think, uh, really, I think I do it for my own sanity. Uh, I grew up at a time where the trumpet was king, and I'm talking about the 70s. And yeah. The trumpet was king in the 70s. And uh, there's a lot of that that's gone now, you know. And I guess you, you're always stuck in that era that you, that you were most influenced by, maybe. I mean, you could move on and study many other things. But you still go back to that time when, man, and it was so exciting in the 70s with the bands we had and all the trumpet stuff. And then yeah. maybe late 70s, the saxophone kind of took over with mid-70s, David Sambard and guys like that coming in. Not that there's anything wrong with saxophone players. Yeah, there is, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> there is. But, uh, man, that heyday of the 70s, you know. And so I always try to touch on some of that in my recordings because it was just ex an exciting time. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, the, it's it's funny the, because of the way the, the mind works that uh, – you know, our connection, our memories and our emotions are connected together. And the stronger the emotion, the more vivid the memory. And then, you know, it, it keeps going on and on. So I think that's why, you know, we get, we get, uh, I don't want to say stuck, but we are attached to specific periods musically because they connect with the times that were the best times in our lives. I you think you're absolutely right that, that we we're not stuck. It's not a stuck thing. You've moved on from the first time you've heard uh, Herb Alpert or something. You know, I, I still love to go back and hear those records. Yeah. It brings me joy because just what you said, it connects me to when my family was, my parents were still alive. And my first uh, introduction to any kind of trumpet sound was Herb Alpert. Yeah. I can listen to that and put a big smile on my face. I mean, that kind of what music is about. It, it affects the mind in, in so many different ways, uh, not just playing, but especially listening. You know, and I've always been an avid listener. So, yeah. So, so you said that that Herb is is uh, one of your early influences. I, I, mine as well. You know, it's like uh, that that period. Uh, you know, being born uh, in the early early sixties uh, and growing up in that that time period, like you. You know, you had uh, Herb was on TV a lot. Uh, Al Hurt was on TV. Yeah. You know, Doc. Those are the three guys I heard first. Those. Yeah. Guys, and in that order. Oh, really? Yeah, in that order. I was yeah. for you. I was in the fifties. I'm a fifties kid, but um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I didn't. My parents were not uh, big music people. I remember having a photograph, a phonograph, but it was uh, you know Montavani and that kind of stuff. And and I just remember hearing that record, man. And I I really liked that sound. It, it just happened to coincide with with the uh, me being in school, grade school. And somebody bringing all the instruments around, you know, to try. Yeah. And uh, I couldn't do, I couldn't play sports. My brothers were much better at sports than I was. So I naturally just was looking for something that maybe I could do. And there it was, uh, uh, play some instrument, you know, and I just happened to pick the trumpet. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, can you think back and, and identify what it was that spoke to you? I mean, I know my story about the trumpet, which is that I was looking for the easiest instrument to play because you know. <laughs> you pick wrong. And I, I picked wrong. Absolutely. That's the story of my life. Uh, but uh, I mean, was was there anything in particular that spoke to you or was it just like, eh, eh, OK? Yeah, I think I think. Uh, well, in, in honesty, uh, I, I originally picked the trombone. And when they went to uh, 
forget, I guess they had this, I, I can't really remember, I, I guess they had the instruments at the school because we didn't have our own. Uh, they ran out of trombones, so I got stuck with the cornet. And, I, I mean, I really wasn't that picky. I would just wanted to try something different, you know. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and then I, I realized uh, that was the same sound I was hearing on that record. Oh, uh, okay. So it kind of happened that way. Mm-hmm. I didn't hear Herb Alpern go, I want to play the trumpet. It was like, well, I picked the coronet up and, hey, that's what that guy, that's what that sound is, you know. Yeah. And then, of course, you, as you said, you, you named the, the, the second person I heard was Al Hurt. I, 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 I can't remember the name of the record, but I know Fiddler on the Roof was on there. That's how my memory works. I can't remember anything, but I know what there might have been a goofy song on that uh, uh, record. And uh, Honey in the Horn, I think it was uh, called. Honey in the Horn. Yeah, yeah. I remember that one. And then, uh, of course, then I discovered Doc. Uh, if I had a hammer or some of those command things, you know, those mm-hmm. middle command things. And all those records, um, I was really lucky when I got to high school. My band director in high school was a trumpet player uh, for the first two years of high school. And he happened to be, run a record business out of his basement, a mail <laughs> okay. It sounds like it would never happen today. Ironically, records are kind of coming back a little bit. Yeah. A lot more expensive than they were when I was buying them. A whole lot more expensive. So he when I was in high school, my my junior and senior year of high school, uh, I didn't have a lot of classes. I don't remember why, but for some reason in high school, I was brilliant. I became non-brilliant by the time I got to college. But uh I remember him bringing a different record in all the time because I was so memorized with Doc. And uh, he brought on all these different records, anywhere from Maynard to people I ended up loving, like Jack Sheldon and anybody. And every every day he would bring in a different LP for me to hear. So I got a lot of exposure to a lot of music. And, man, I just fell in love with listening. I mean, absolutely listening. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny how different people come to the same conclusion you know, yeah. uh, the same place in life. And, uh, you know, like, uh, it, I'm just thinking back, like uh, when I interviewed Eric Miyashiro and, you know, Eric's dad was, was a trumpet player and, you know, he had trumpet in his life from, you know, day yeah. one. Yeah. And, you know, and he followed that path. And then, you, you know, you have uh, someone like you who, you know, it, it wasn't necessarily like a, a preordained thing. You just kind of, yeah, okay, <laughs> I want to do something. And here you go. But, yeah fall in love with it early i mean i can remember even the, my earliest memories of really loving to have that uh, piece of metal in my hands maybe not so much later on <laughs> trying to figure things out but at first i really i really loved it you know yeah yeah well you know it that it, it's it's really kind of interesting when you look at, at all these different different things you know when, when you get older as we have uh, you know, the, the thing of hindsight is twenty twenty vision. You can look back and you can kind of see where all these these things that didn't make sense at the time suddenly start to to coalesce and and make something that that's really significant. Um, but I mean, like when I when I think back about my earlier experiences with listening, it wasn't so much listening to the albums, uh-huh. uh, which I did start doing uh, more towards the later seventies. But I just remember being able to turn on the TV daytime television for the most part. And there's always just a killer band yeah. on those shows, like the Mike Douglas show and the Merv Griffin show. Yeah. Every, yeah. Everybody. 
Yeah. And then, you know, if you if you're lucky enough to stay up late, you know, your parents let you stay up late. There's the Tonight Show band. And I remember like seeing Clark Terry on uh, Tonight Show and obviously, you know, Doc and Snooki and, you know, uh, Johnny Audito and and the Pete Condoli and, you know, Connie Condoli. I mean, like that who's who of players and you got to see them regularly and it was just phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, it's almost – it's hard to believe. I mean, when you see a trumpet player on TV today, it's so exciting. You know, I'm always going to my girlfriend, man, they, they actually showed a trumpet player on TV. Yeah. yeah. And and I think it, it, it that, that was – like you said, man, it was a great time for the trumpet. Oh, and it was, it was it was absolutely the best. I mean, unless you really want to be realistic and go back to the Harry James 40s, I mean, yeah. he, that was the king of all time. But, man, the 70s were pretty – Pretty, I think it was so different because we came from the big band era into the all the other jazz eras. But by the time we melded into the 70s, late 60s and 70s, we're combining jazz with rock. And I mean, you got blood, sweat, and tears. You got all these groups. It was it just really was a, a vibrant time for a mesh of all different kinds of music. Because my big band, uh, I mean, my high school band director, he was more into the big band thing, you know, right. because that was his era. And, and as you said earlier on, that part just never really leaves your head. But we were in a different time. I mean, I was not just listening to trumpet players. I listened to the Beatles. I listened to where I listened to all these pop groups, really, way before I listened to jazz. Yeah. Maybe that was all in there. We just came, I came on the tail end of the big bands. I mean, uh, I was lucky enough to see all the big bands because they were still touring in the 70s. Mm-hmm. As a kid, I, I didn't think that was going to end by the next decade. Yeah. I thought it'd always be there. So you have all the, I don't know where I'm going with this, but you have all this confluence of all these different styles melding, melding together in the seventies, probably more so than any time uh, that I can think of. Yeah. I think, yeah. Looking back, it's like that, that sixties, seventies period where uh, music was becoming a little more experimental yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, particularly like you're saying, you know, Blood, Sweat and Tears, Chicago, uh, you know, then obviously like the ultimate horn band of horn bands, Chase, uh, which if you're a trumpet player, you know, it, yeah. it's that, you know, hey, here's here's this rock and roll with just not only killer trumpet playing, but some of the most creative arrangements. Unbelievable. I, the stuff that went on in that band was just, I mean, I still go back and listen to some of that and just go, this was so ahead of its time, both, Absolutely. you know, and never, never, uh, imitate it, but not duplicate it ever. I mean, it's oh, crazy no. when you listen to the, those parts, uh, all everybody, not just the trumpets, the organ and, and everything influenced. And where did Bill Chase come from? Big bands. You know, I saw that band in ni- uh, 1974 at my college. It might have been 1973, somewhere, 73, 74, I mean, but I saw them live. I mean, it's just something you never forget. And, and uh, I met them all. I went into this little back room and met them all. I got all their autographs. And I remember talking to Bill, and I, I mean, I was a college kid, uh, skinny and long hair, and I just remember how, how tall he was. I just, my first impression and remembrance of him is looking up at him. Yeah. He's a big guy, but to hear that live, man, oh man. I mean, that's what I'm saying. I got to hear a lot of that stuff live. Yeah. And yeah. I just thought it would always be here. I mean, yeah. He in that plane accident, he was only 39 years old. 
that's really unbelievable to me today. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. And, and it's funny because I've, I've had those thoughts and, and those discussions with people. It's like, yeah. And, and this is all, you know, conjecture, obviously, but you know, where you, where you say, well, what, what would Chase have been like if, you know, he had lived to be, you know, 60s, 70s, you know, if he was still around playing and stuff like that, what, what would his musical direction have been like? And the same thing you say, like, you know, what would Hendrix be like, or what would, you know, any of these kind of trend setting musicians who had this very short, career but short but impactful yeah career short is right i mean look at don ellis another one oh yeah died at, you know very young 40 i think 43 i mean he was way ahead of all of those guys as far as combining electronics and the first really guy to do electronics in in, in uh on trumpet that i that i know of and then of course randy brecker later on in the 70s yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I loved, I loved Ellis and stuff like, uh, uh live at Phil, the Fillmore and uh, Tears of Joy. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. I just, never saw, I never saw him, although he was here at one time. But I was at college. But I talked to a lot of people that saw him, and and a lot of people that played with, him, as well as uh, you know, talking with Teddy Piercefield from Chase too, mm -hmm. uh, and their experiences. I mean, that's one band that I wish I would have seen. Yeah, I, I wish I, I had never got a chance to see either one of those bands live, and I really would. Uh, I mean, I, I even go back like to the the old recordings of Ellis with Maynard when oh, he was, and it's like uh, the the three uh, three more foxes. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, just the, he was he was serious. Yeah, I mean, you know, I have a I have a bootleg of the uh, the message from uh, Birdland album. Mm -hmm. They recorded that. Uh, they recorded that all in one one evening, and uh, the band used to do five sets. And splits. They were split sets. I don't know who who was on that set with Maynard at the time. I mean, he did a lot with Miles. They would split sets. Not that particular recording, but you know, the back then the LPs might have held uh, 35, 40 minutes of music. But they recorded all five sets, and on I I'm lucky enough to have the uh, all five sets. Uh, oh man. Yeah, and they play Three More Foxes like three times. And it's so funny to hear because the sets, I think, ran from like 10 till 3 in the morning or some ridiculous set. Right. The funny thing is, it really is, uh, and we've heard stories about this, but it's definitely true on here. The band, You can hear the band getting tired and worn out. It's a long time to play. Plus, right. they're there for weeks at a time, except for one guy. Maynard just stronger on the as strong on the third set as he was on the first set, but uh, I don't remember if Don is on that particular live thing. But I know Rick Kiefer's on there. He's another a lot of recording with Rick Kiefer, Donalds, and yeah. Maynard doing three more foxes. Scary. Oh yeah, yeah. It's like you, you listen. Yeah, I think of Rocky or MacArthur Park. I said, well, you might want to check out some of the roulette stuff, you know, because it's pretty amazing. Oh yeah. Yeah. That, that's just nuts. You know, you, because you could take any one of those solos, uh, any one of those guys did and listen to it and go, man, that's killer. But when you have all three lined up like that, it's just crazy to think that that band he had at that, that era from like 58, you know, through 64, it's so swinging, man. It's just, there's so much swing. And I didn't grow up hearing that the main, of course I grew up was MacArthur park and, Give it one and all that. Yeah, right. Exactly. Unbelievable records. The, the again, the fusion of pop tunes in the music, 
uh, Keith Mansfield, uh, a lot, a lot of the reason that happened, mm -hmm. uh, that hadn't been done much. Woody Herman uh, dribbled in it a little bit, but not as, as successfully as, as Maynard did. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's the thing that a lot of people did, you know, start to venture into that world, you know, uh, Kenton, yeah. uh, buddy, everybody, you had to do it to some degree. Uh, but I don't, uh, like you said, I think Maynard had the most success with being able to consistently, uh, I mean, uh, granted there were, there were some clinkers, there were some stinkers in that, that mix, Oh boy, Nine but, <laughs> but I mean, th there's also some iconic, Eli Cummins, oh. Arthur Park. I mean, there's so many great, uh, the Alive and Well album with Bridge Over Troubled Waters. And, mm -hmm. I mean, those are just fantastic arrangements. Yeah, yeah. And they, they, they still, I mean, they still sound great. And they're great recordings. They were recorded so well over in, over in England, just great yeah. recordings. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when, when you think about like all these different influences you've had in terms of your, your listening, uh, obviously that's going to, you know, spill over into your playing. Um, I guess that's not enough. <laughs> uh, you know, the, you did, you did a release a few years ago that was just like all pop tunes, rework pop tunes. Yeah. Yeah. I had, well, I had done, um, I was in a studio uh, recording for on someone else's uh, record. I, I can't even remember who it was uh, at, a, at a studio here in St. Louis called Music Masters and um, Greg Trampy. And there was there was a, a gentleman who had his own label who wasn't into the stuff we were recording at the time. He popped the door up and he go, and he said, I bet you don't know this old song. You can't get started. I go, oh, I know it. And I played it for him. You know, he's standing outside the studio door and about. I don't know. A few weeks later, I got a call. He goes, "Well, if you if you had your choice of what kind of record to do uh, uh, jazz wise, what would you do?" And I said, "Well, of course, I'd do a big band record." And I used a smaller big band, almost like Maynard did with twelve or thirteen people. And I ended up doing uh, two of those with him. And then it became such a great relationship. He goes, "Well, why don't we do something else?" We ended up doing a Christmas album, and then those albums you're speaking of were called Brass Poison. Mm -hmm. I, I named it that because I thought I'd take pop tunes and poison them with brass bass. <laughs> and, and I had a lot of fun doing that. I and mean, we, I, I don't remember all the songs that are on there, but I, I had, we had a blast doing, doing those records that was still in the studio. Yeah. So you, you transitioned like so many people have, I mean, but you were ahead of the curve. I mean, so many people because of COVID have found themselves doing, you know, virtual lessons and doing yeah. more home recording, but you've been doing this for, for a while, how how did you make that transition? Um, I, you know, I'm not sure how that how how all, I can't remember how all that happened. I always loved recording, even when I was really young. Even in college, I put up reel to reels and would bounce stuff around. So and and being in the studio with somebody like Greg Trampy, who was, was a great engineer, I just watched what he did. And and uh, another young guy. Uh, that I taught, who was a great trumpet player, Scott Allspock, who became a producer in LA. He did lip, we did lip trip together. Uh, I watched what they did and I was always fascinated by it. So I've always been recording even since the early days of college. Uh, as far as the teaching thing, I'm, I'm not sure how, how I got into that or what happened. Uh, but I've been doing it a long time. I can't even, I can't even rec remember how long I've been doing it, but a long time. I was on Skype pretty early. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it's amazing how the technology has changed. Oh, man. Has it changed? Yeah. I mean, it's a what technology is a wonderful thing. You're not going to stop it. And it does a lot of great things. I mean, that you and I can sit here and talk, or I can teach a guy that's in England or Canada somewhere. You know, he doesn't have to come to my house. He can't come to my house. Yeah. That's amazing. The technology that I can record here in this little room and my guitar player can be in, in LA and my bass player can be two doors down from me. That's amazing. Yeah. So for your tracking, uh, what are you using in terms of like your, your software, your interfaces and things like that? No, I'm, I'm a really basic guy. I, I, I started with Sony Asset Pro, which is, is not like. Yep. Know, I started there too. Yeah. But I know Sony Asset Pro and it's easy. So I don't have to do, I don't change the pitches on my horn or fix things. You know, I can cut and paste and all that. But I don't, I don't need all that other stuff. It's basically doll. It's going to record. So I, uh, when I first got into it years ago, they said uh, my friends who who knew about it said, spend the money on microphones. So that's what I did, and I got a Royer, which mm-hmm. uh, I think it's a one twenty one, and uh, my interface is the Scarlett Focusrite, and uh, I got two different Yamaha keyboards I use for different sounds. I use, uh, I like to use different trumpets on. On, like in the section, I'll use the banjo and and on the lead line or the melody, or I'll use whatever I'm playing that week. Uh, so uh, and valve trombone. So I, and I use a lot of different loops, drum loops, and stuff. And I guess I the the part I enjoy is just putting it all together. That's just fun to me. Yeah, yeah. It, it's well, I say it starts as fun. Yeah, it doesn't end up as fun because you know you hit that red button and 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 and. and uh, you might think you're just sounding grand, but the red button doesn't lie. And boy, sometimes that stuff that comes out, I'm like, wow, man, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that that's, uh, it, it's a fun process. I mean, I enjoy the creative process, but there, there's a point in the middle where you're just like, why the hell am I doing this? <laughs> well, that's, every, that's every one I've done. Uh, yeah. Usually that point comes to when it's mixing, mixing and mastering. Man, I, I mean, it, it sounds crazy, but I've mixed those things 20 times would be a, a, a good estimate of each tune. Yeah. It takes forever to get the right balance to me, you know. And mm-hmm. then, you know, you spend all this time, you listen to all these great monitors, these great speakers, and and most of the people are going to listen to it on right here. So exactly, I like, I like to listen to it a little bit on everything and, and find that balance. And that's the fun. And, and you do get better at it. The, the more you do it, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you, you are a staple in St. Louis. Um, is that your hometown or is there just, yeah, yeah I, I was, yeah. Born and raised here. Yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, the, the the music, it seems like this is kind of an interesting place I mean, in terms of musical history. I mean, there's been some really great players that have come through uh, St. Louis. Um, Mark Terry's from here. Miles Davis from East St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Jimmy yeah. Morris. There's a lot of people from St. Louis. Well, any you can pick any city, and there's great jazz players. Right. Great musicians. And St. Louis is, we still have a lot of great musicians here. I mean, there's some really Great. I hear some young guys coming up. I mean, they scare me. I, I want to hide. You know, there's some great education going on that maybe you and I didn't have. I had great education, but it's become a lot more involved, uh, especially jazz wise. 
Mm-hmm. I had we had uh, what they called stage ban in high school. You know, I think I don't think they call it stage ban anymore. But and then I think it evolved from stage ban to jazz ban. Yeah. But it's the teaching is really, really involved as far as your ability to uh, improvise and stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you had a lot of that. I did uh, not as much as I I wish I had. You know. Um, so actually, speaking of, of, of with with education, um, you've got a really unique approach to uh, to playing to, to your approach to the production of sound and and just you know. Uh, the way you, you approach the the playing of the trumpet, and particularly, it usually ends up being you know people will come to you talking about the upper register. Uh, Always, uh, you, you can't have a conversation without going into high notes. Um, but uh, you know that that your ability to explain that. I mean, there I've talked to a lot of people who are excellent players, excellent teachers. And in terms of being able to explain the concepts of efficiency, there's only a handful that really kind of, at least to me, can just sit down and explain it in a way that that not only makes sense, but is immediately applicable. Uh-huh. Uh, and you know, like uh, you know, I, I you know, Bobby Shoe to me has always been the kind of you know, Bob Bobby's Bobby's the guru on that stuff. Yes. Uh, but you know. I, when I, I did a few lessons with you a number of years ago, and it was just completely uh, mind-blowing and created this complete shift. And just the way that you explain things to me, just like, oh, duh. Um, and how did you come up with that uh, particular concept? I mean, what what were the uh, like the markers along your way that that help you to codify your approach to playing into such a, a really easy to explain and apply uh concept well first of all I, I i'm not the smartest guy in the room so i think i can explain things on a pretty basic level because that's how i my brain works um i don't i i, I really have a theory that some of the guys that some of our heroes that play so great cannot tell you how they do what they do because they just did it naturally uh and there's always people that assume because I played high, it was natural. It was not natural. I can tell you right now, it was not natural. Uh, but I think I was just so obsessed, especially the early days with Maynard and, and hearing that sound, you know. Uh, and I can still remember watching those guys because, like you said, I saw I saw Maynard on Mike Douglas way back early 70s. And... Uh, he didn't look like they were doing anything. And we used to watch Doc play. You know, mm-hmm. Doc would have holding a high F or high G with his hand up. I thought, man, I can't play a middle C without jamming that thing in my face. And I became obsessed with how to play and not look like I was killing myself or sound like I was killing myself. Well, I didn't know that would be end up being what I do my whole life. You know, I still go to bed thinking, I bet I can play easier tomorrow if I just, and I mean, really, I'm saying I was obsessed with it. I was obsessed with it. Uh, and like everybody, you think there's a method or a, uh, to this madness. Well, there really, there really isn't a method to the madness. It can really, it just comes down to, uh, well, you know, you're into the, the whole metaphysics thing, the yoga thing. It really is more yoga-like than muscle-bound, even though it sounds like, 
man, there's a ton of air going through that horn to sound like that. It's really the opposite. It's much more yoga-like and being relaxed. And uh, I guess just from teaching so much or myself experimenting so much, I have a way to explain it. And and believe me, every everybody I teach is different. I don't have a set routine like, well, you need to do this and do this and do this. I kind of pattern. It's built on three things, breathing and and, and your, what your lips do and all that. They're very simple concepts. But everybody gets it a different way, I guess I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Like I can say one sentence to you and the guys look. I can see on the other end of the screen like, it's not going through. Right. Uh, example. Let's take a perfect example. It's it's pretty easy. Let me take uh, let me take Lynn's uh, Lynn Nicholson's uh, X X piece. You know this yeah. this tool for what he calls the uh, I don't remember what he calls his thing uh, the rolling out and all that furling in and all that. But I mean, obviously, it works for Lynn. This mouthpiece is so shallow. It, it, uh, the guy that I got it from, <laughs> uh, I bought it from. Well, he couldn't play a note on it. And I thought, well, I always play small mouthpieces, so let's let's see what I do. Here's a perfect example of of the kind of thing I'm thinking about. If I can't explain to somebody how little air is going into the horn uh, to to make this huge sound, I say, if you took this up to the kitchen sink, let's say we took this this mouthpiece up the kitchen sink, and our only job is to fill this cup up with water. Why are we going to turn the faucet all the way on? Because it's going to go all over the place. And that, in trumpet terms, causes backup. So Mm -hmm. just that kind of visualization, which sounds very childlike, seems to get across for some people. I can explain scientifically what at least what I think is happening. uh, And you might not understand it, but that proves the point. And almost everyone that I've shown to, and and I got to give a lot of credit to a man you mentioned, Bobby Shue, because I went and, and stayed at, uh, took less, I stayed in California for a week and took, I think, three lessons with him or something over that week uh, in, in Van Nuys, you know, when he had his studio there. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that was an eye opener because, you know, there isn't anything Bobby hasn't done. I mean, you name it. Yeah. I can do, he's done it. He's done it. He's just done it. And he's such a smart, intelligent man. He can explain to you. Most of that was over my head maybe at that time. Um, And I'm rambling here like a madman, so please help. That's good. What I'm saying is uh, there's just not a lot of – it doesn't take a lot of air to produce a sound on the trumpet. And and we really don't blow the trumpet. You just move the air that's inside there, and it makes a sound. And there's a lot of variations on it. But I always try to keep it simple when I explain it and there's just different people get it in different ways. That's mm-hmm. the best way. Everybody's mind works slightly different. And all I really try to do is get a light bulb to go off, you know, and that light bulb, uh, even Bobby will tell you, you're your own best teacher. Yeah. I can only give you some things to try. Uh, unfortunately with trumpet, nothing happens fast on the trumpet. I mean, nothing. I, I really, I get up some days and I think, man, I, I, I'll give you a, an analogy. I, I, uh, my girlfriend and I were trying to clean out our garage. We still haven't cleaned it out. This was several years ago. And in there, I had a scrapbook from when I was a kid all the way through college. And I found my first report card, like seventh grade, you know. And it was excellent, you know, all the checks. And and at the time, my girlfriend said, my God, do you realize you've been playing 50 years? And I went, yeah, I should be a lot better. <laughs> you don't realize how much time you spent holding that thing in your hand. Right. Where some people find other occupations to go into, and then they come back to it because it gave them joy in high school and college. Well, that whole time while you were gone, 
I've been making a lot of mistakes and trying to correct myself from the mistakes. And, and that leads you to another path. And maybe that path isn't right, but you stay on it long enough, you're going to figure some things out, you know, for yeah. yourself. And hopefully you can share them with other people. Yeah. Well, you know, and I think that uh, you, you touched on a couple of really important concepts. I mean, the, the first is, you know, obviously, you know, like I said, Bobby's big on this, you know, you are your best, own best teacher. And I absolutely agree with that. Um, and that you learn by making mistakes. And I think that's what I, I know for myself, you know, speaking for myself, uh, when I was younger, it was my fear of making mistakes that created problems for me in the long term because I wasn't willing to take those chances and to and to really push myself. And I, I don't want to say push myself like you know physically push myself, but to 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 allow myself to fail miserably and then to learn the lesson because it was like fail and then beat yourself up as opposed to, okay, that didn't work. Now let's think about why didn't it work? What fell apart? What was good? What wasn't good? Now, what can I change next time? And thinking a little bit more critically and analytically. Yeah. And you're right. You, you hit it on the head. Allow yourself to make mistakes. Look, when you're playing and we've all experienced this as trumpet players, when it's going great, you're not thinking about how you're doing it. It's when it goes to complete shit, you're trying to think, oh, if I just move my tongue here. I do. You can't do that. You cannot get into this game of my teeth need to be here, my lips need to be here. You'll lose your mind. I know because I've done it. I've already done all that. None of that works. It's when I put all the books away. It's not that the books are wrong, by the way, but you might read this sentence and go, I, I got it. I might read that sentence and have a totally different idea of what the guy's trying to say. So... There's just three or four basic things I figured out or, or learned on the way. I should, I've never figured them out. You're never going to figure this thing out. You know, there was that, there was that Holton ad for Maynard where it said, uh, playing the trumpet is endless. Nobody's ever figured it out. And boy, that's the truth. But you do learn and you reach a, a certain level where you can go out and perform even in that fear of things. Cause I, I had that fear, man. I think anybody that played this instrument has stood somewhere with the exception of a few guys and, just totally it sucked it just was bad and that can't just not just when you were starting you can play great today and tomorrow that trumpet says yeah i don't yeah. today you know so i think you're you're have the right mindset you have to allow yourself to basically not be that great and make a lot of mistakes unless you're just a natural at it to figure some things out Again, the problem is nothing happens fast on the trumpet. So what I run into teaching is a lot of guys will come, and really I can explain everything in one lesson that I know. You just got to take it on. But they need guidance. You need guidance. Uh, one of my great teachers here said uh, Bob Ceccarini was a great St. Louis player and teacher. And uh, he would say, now, now Manly, uh, when you get up from here and you're headed to the door, you got about 90% of what I said. But when you get in your car, you're at a 75. By next week, you're probably playing at about 50. So I get a lot of people to come back. They've come for a while, and then they come back because they've tried this method or that method, but they haven't got anywhere because you, you got to have some foundation. And I just try and teach a basic foundation of my ideas of how the trumpet works. They might not be right for you. I don't, there's no way to know until you try them, you know? Yeah. I just know what worked for me and the process I went through. And I try to, save people time through the process, I guess. 
Yeah. Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm a big advocate for um, learning as much as you can from as many people as you can. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, because uh, a, a foundational thing in terms of my, my approach to life, you know, trumpet being one of those things, is that the words that we use are critical. They're really important because words are the way that we express our intents and our thoughts and our beliefs and our emotions to other people and ourselves included because of the self-talk, you know, crap that we get into. But, but sometimes uh, what you need is you need to hear the same thing described or explained with a slightly different vocabulary. Exactly. You know, because you can say, you know, one person will say, you know, blow through the horn or, you know, they'll, they'll say one phrase and it makes sense to them. It makes absolute sense to them. It doesn't make sense to you. But what they're doing is, is maybe something a little different. And another person will say, okay, we'll just think about this. And it's like, oh, boom. yeah, then everything comes together. But if, if you don't have all of those, those little pieces, I, I kind of like it like a jigsaw puzzle, you know? So it's like at the beginning, none of the pieces make sense. And then you find that one piece that suddenly makes everything start to fall into place. And it's usually in my experience, it's usually the most simplistic thing. It's not like this big grand cosmic right. yeah, thing. It's just like, oh yeah, man, just, you know, you don't have to put that much air through your horn. Yeah, <laughs> you take your trumpet. I mean, the first thing I teach people is take your trumpet, put that mouthpiece in front of your eyes, tap the trumpet. Listen to this pure sound. What are the lips doing? Nothing. They're doing nothing. I mean, that is really a telltale thing there. You know, and uh, you, what you said is absolutely is absolutely right. What you said is absolutely right. There's I, sometimes I say, "Excuse me for taking it down to the kindergarten level," but really, that's how my mind works anyway. <laughs> yeah, if you're a trumpet player, you know, you know, <laughs> I've got not much past seventh grade. <laughs> but you know, but but that's that, that's the truth of the matter is that uh, you know if if you can't explain a concept in the simplest terms, then you really don't understand it. Right, right exactly. I, I agree with you totally. And, I, and I, you know, I don't feel myself as a complicated person. Maybe that's why it took me so long to even play play at all. But but I just kind of went a weird path. I, I didn't realize I didn't realize when I started I'm going to figure this thing out. That would take twenty years, thirty years. I mean, you don't think that way. I just always been obsessed with how can I play easier. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you say you're still, you're still on that path. Daily. Yeah. Daily, man. Is the, you know, I tell people that I run into a person, they'll come up to, to my girlfriend. Does he really go down there every morning and go through this buzzing route? You know, whatever, what do you got to do? She goes, oh yeah. <laughs> That's the first thing I do. Cup of coffee down here. You know? Yeah. Well, and I think sometimes people don't, take into consideration that, you know, life is not static. It's very dynamic. So, um, and the holistic nature of things. So that as, as any one part of the mechanism or the organism changes, something else must change. Yeah, you, That's exactly right. I mean, it's, it's not one thing on trumpet. It's, it's a thousand things to play one note, right. And it's, then it's just repetition. Once you under, understand it, you know, and, and there's a great saying, uh, Mark Twain said, uh, you know, the, the older I got, the smarter my dad got. 
there, that's so, so true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I see like the importance, I, you know, and I've had this conversation with it, with a number of people, particularly those who are, uh, you know, they've made their, their, uh, they are considered very famous because of their uh, big sound, their, you know, extreme commanding upper edge, you know, people like Roger Ingram and, and yeah. Wayne Bergeron, people like that. And every one of those guys that I ever talked to that, that, and I know Wayne, Wayne hates being called a high note player because, you know, it's like, that's the kiss of death. You know, he's yeah. a trumpet player. That, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it's like these guys that, are called on to do that kind of work. You know, you, you are added into that mix as well. Um, that as you get older, you know, you start to understand that, you know, your body is changing, the demands of the music are changing. Uh, what, what you could do when you were 20 years old doesn't work when you're 50 years old. So yeah. you have to become more efficient if you wish to stay more consistent. Absolutely. I mean, when you're 20 years old, you don't think about your knees hurting. You don't think about any of that stuff, you know. And and I think you just uh, maybe maybe not mindful, but make a decision that you need to play easier. You have to because you don't have have the. I, I knew a long time ago I would not have the endurance to play like I did when I was playing in pop bands and rock bands. You know, I'd come home, man, everything would hurt. You know. Uh, my playing situation changed, although I still go back and play some of those gigs. You just play them a lot smarter. Yeah. 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 And, and yeah, my God, yeah, that's, that's where, where I make my money playing is in those, you know, brick house bands and things yeah, like that. And, I, and I, it's, I it's 35 years is brutal. Yeah, it is. I mean, people, people don't think it, but you know, it's like, Oh my God, yeah, another, you know, three earth, wind and fire songs in a row. Yay. Whoopee. <laughs> And, and you come and, you know, it's, it's a big difference when you're, you know, when you're 20 or 30 and, and when you're 50, 60 and, you know, collagen levels deplete in your body. So your, the elasticity in your, in your uh, skin is yeah. not the same. You know, the blood flow is different and, you know, so recuperation, you know, you just, you, you can't, you, yeah. you can't do it the same way. So you've got to figure out better ways to do it and thank God for electronics. So that's all I can say. <laughs> yeah, that's the truth. <laughs> Yeah, getting up on that mic and yeah, the mic let it. Friend, man, I I never said well he uses a mic. If you yeah, I'm gonna use a mic. There's a guy over here hitting a snare drum with a with a stick, and he's mic'd. Yeah, and he's mic'd. That's right. Yeah. How many times have been, how many times you've been in a setup where he got ten thousand mics on the drum and sound check, <laughs> half hour, and then trumpet, bap, got it. Yep. No. Yeah. Uh, yep. The fun of it all. The fun of it all. So, like, when you, if, if we talk a little bit more, like, about uh, you know that process that you've gone through in your your efficiency, your your search for efficiency. So, like, if you can take me through like your problem solving steps. So, you know, if, if you're running into a problem with your playing or something that you want to improve in your playing, um, what's kind of like the first first step that you take in diagnosing yourself and coming up with a strategy to, to correct it. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, I know that um, uh, we all know Bill Adam at the University of uh, Indiana and had the lead pipe thing, you know, and you would sit in a room with him and, and he, you would match his sound on the lead pipe. Maybe he didn't, maybe he, I never took lunch from him, but maybe he didn't explain why you were doing, but that's a big, a big help for me. And it's helped a lot of players. Uh, when you take that tuning slide out, the trumpet becomes a different animal when you just play the lead pipe. And if you just play the lead pipe, until it becomes centered, you're going to find that you don't have to do much at all. I always tell people it's an interesting thing. Uh, when I play the lead, lead pipe and I'm not blowing into the horn, the lead pipe sounds pretty good when I'm pretty much doing not much at all. And if I try to add to that, it doesn't get any better. So the lead pipe almost kind of teaches you where to blow and what everything, everything should be happening. And so I always come back to that if there's, there's a problem and that, that doesn't lie. I just would say the lead pipe doesn't lie. And I use a lot of lead pipe playing in my teaching because people are unaware of how they sound with that tuning slide in. You take the tuning slide out, the lead pipe can be pretty truthful for you. Um, I don't know how to explain it without demonstrating it all, you know, but, that is the basis of a lot of things. And and I just, again, find people just put, try to put too much air through here when it just doesn't take a lot of air. And everybody thinks, well, if I'm going to play high, that air's got to go really fast. Well, that is true. But really fast doesn't mean more. You know, there's there's – I mean, it's just common sense. There's less air going in on a high C than a low C. It's just got to go faster. And there's just things you can do that will help that along – as long as you're not overblowing the minute you're overblowing on a low C, well, that's why those notes seem so, so far away, you know, and it's not just again about the high notes, as you mentioned, it's, it's about sound and everything becomes easier when you're not blowing so hard, you know, and there are guys who blow hard that have great successful careers. I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm just saying that works for me. And that's what I try to pass along just for the reasons you said. I'm not going the other way age-wise. You know, when, you, when you're filling out so, – I hate when you're filling out something online and you can't put in the year and you got to scroll through. Because I look at that and I go, man, where has that time gone? Yeah. And probably I was sitting somewhere trying to figure the trouble. <laughs> more than likely. More than likely. Or on a gig. So. Yeah, or on a gig, yeah. yeah. And that's another thing is you experience in the pop bands. I mean, I – when I first started playing in bands in the in the early '80s, it was there was nothing to be not to be booked twenty eight nights a month. There was, that was just the norm. Yep, it's obviously all changed with COVID, but it was starting to change before that. You know, oh, and, yeah. and my own uh, live playing has changed immensely. You know, most of my gigs here are, are duos. They're jazz mm. duos where it has nothing to do with playing like my heroes played, my early heroes. You know, I could be at a at a little restaurant or a wine bar where, where I'll be like tomorrow night, and there could be a table in front of me. I'm not going to come in there and try to try to play like Maynard. That just doesn't make – that's just not common sense. Mm-hmm. Apple are all different kinds of playing. And that that's the thing uh, 
this kind of idea of playing applies to all that. Yeah. Just playing the trumpet. Yeah. Well, it, it's kind of it, interesting, you know, as you're saying about, you know, like, you know, if you're overblowing on a low C, then you know, you're obviously going to you know, feel like the the higher notes are that much further away. Um, it, it seems like, you know, you could, you could work on either end. You could start with the, the easiest, or you could start with, I, I hate to say the hardest, but you could start the most demanding uh, and kind of either work from the low to the high or the high to the low with trying to, to create a set. I, I, a lot of people talk about like set points and things like that. It's like, well, you know, and, and, I, and most of the time that they're used, the, the most of the people I've heard use that phrase are talking about uh, the tension in the embouchure or the placement and things like that. But I'm thinking of it almost like, well, what is the feeling that I want to have? So if I want to, if I want to be this relaxed on a high G, right. And then, then what should I be doing to support that as I'm, if I'm going to move either above or below that, that to make, make sure that when I'm playing that G, I feel this way. Well, and I think you hit a, hit a big point is relaxation. You know, I'll watch guys climb up the trumpet scale and you can see in their face as they're climbing up, you can see their brain causing tension. Because the perception is that those notes are farther away or higher. Well, I mean, way higher than what they are. And just the mindset really has a huge effect on it. The reason is because while they practice, those notes were hard. Now, there's something I remember a guy I taught. I mean, this is a true story. I, I don't remember. I'm sorry. I don't remember the guy's name, but it was in person. And this guy had pretty good chops, man. But he had a, he had a wall where it just wouldn't go above. And it was like a double A was not going to come out for him. But he had a G that was, a, I got him really relaxed, breathing more efficiently, playing more efficiently. And I'll never forget his eyes. He, he hit that G and it popped up another octave to a G above double C. And he was just like, I can't, I can't believe it. I just can't. He couldn't believe it. Now, I remember he's from out of town. Uh. And I happened to run into him, and it might have been an ITG. I can't remember the story, but I, I remember it. I came back and go, well, how the chops? He goes, man, remember that day at your house when I hit that G above double C? I said, yeah. He goes, I never hit that again. <laughs> and I think a lot of fear of high notes come up. You know, I can even look back at myself when I when it was so hard for me to even play high C or D. You'd see that on a page, and the fear would come. Well, what does that fear cause? Fear causes tension. Right. You know, got a book out about it, I, I believe, about yeah. it. Yeah. It tension. So, of course, it's easy to think, yeah, I'm going to play that high G. It is easy to think that. Maybe not so easy to put do physically until somewhere there's a combination of both things. Mm -hmm. I see many guys even climbing up the scale uh, to high C, and you see their eyes go up as they play it up. I see it a lot in lessons. And that already is putting a barrier that this is going to be hard or high. And instead of thinking this way, you know, I try to get them just to think this way, this, this way with the air, you know? Yeah. And it's kind of amazing that, uh, yes, yeah, so we, we, we touched on it. The air has to go faster up higher, but it doesn't necessarily have to be more air. Yeah. Yeah. It is, I mean, there's a lot of schools of thought on it. I just have my own way of doing it. And, and I've had, uh, some success with students who've stuck with it. They've, they've made vast improvements 
pretty quickly the first day. And then there's always, you know, on trumpet, there's a couple steps forward and about 10 backwards. Yeah, yeah, well, that, that's true. No, it's really interesting because, uh, yeah, we were talking about earlier about having these multiple uh, ways of thinking about things, a variety of ways of thinking about things. Uh, a few episodes ago when I uh, interviewed James Morrison, uh, James, uh, I, I, yeah, I have always had, uh, I used to think about higher, you know, this way. And, um, uh, you talked about this and also Frank green, uh, had, had talked to me about thinking about, you know, forward with, with the movement of the air. And James is like, no, I, I think about higher as being to the right. So like I'm playing the piano. So if you're playing the piano, if you go from a middle C to a double high C on a piano, it's just going from here to there. Yeah, that's it. And he said, so I, I if, if anything, you know, I think linearly, you know, to, uh, laterally in terms of to go higher as opposed to vertically or even, even forward. And it's like, wow, that's a really interesting thing because I mean, I, I know for myself and I'm sure everybody else does to some degree, you have those mental blocks about you know, this is difficult. And, um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's Alan Bazzuti. Uh, yeah, it was Alan, uh, Alan, I remember being at a, a workshop of his and he was talking about, uh, like multiple tonguing and saying, you know, multiple tonguing is really not that difficult uh, in terms of, uh, uh the, the, the mechanics of it are really not difficult. The difficult parts of coordination. It's just, you know, doing it well and stuff, but you know, you, you could teach a kid to go. So you, you, it, it, it's not anything that's foreign to us particularly. It's just that we make this big deal out of it. You're exactly right. I mean, uh, uh, I'll, just not to change something. Speaking of James Morrison, I, I spent a few days with him uh, in Amsterdam at a trumpet festival many years ago. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, again, we when I when I talk about natural players, it's not that they didn't work to get where they are, but James Morrison is about as close to as natural as I've ever experienced. I saw it firsthand, not warm up, not touch the horn, and pick it up and sound amazing. As a matter of fact, I gave a clinic there, and he thought, "Why would you, he asked me why would you think about all those things, <laughs> James? Because I have to." <laughs> and. Uh, I don't think it was ever very difficult for him. He told, he told me it was, he says, when, when I'm on a vacation or holiday, he called it, you know, the horns stay under the bed. I, uh, so for him, maybe that journey from low C to high C or double C on the piano isn't far, but for a lot of us, it is rightfully what you said. A lot of it is mindset. You have to understand a few things and make the things simple. It's all about making things simpler. And we, as trumpet players, usually make it way too hard and way too confusing. And we might try something for seven days, and if it doesn't work, out of hell with it. Yeah, and, and, and but it takes time. Yeah, like you said, nothing on the trumpet comes quick. Nothing on the trumpet comes quick. But if you think in terms of, hey, this is how the trumpet works. Look at this. I'm not blowing hard. That is a big thing for your mind to accept. I mean, I'll see that look on the on the other side of the screen when I'm explaining, and I'll let all my air out and play something. You know, if I let all my air out and go, let all my air out. I see that look on the face like, what do you mean you didn't take a breath? Well, I didn't take a breath because there's not a ton of air going in on that 
given note. And that can already start a conversation and a mind thought that, well, maybe I'm working too hard to play the trumpet. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. I was, uh, it was a number of years ago. I was on a gig, um, actually I was sitting in with a band and, uh, the, the guy who was the trumpet player in the band had just taken uh, a couple lessons with you and, uh, we're both on stage playing and he goes, would Manly say we're using too much air? And I said, probably. Probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it, but, it, you know, that, but it's those, those little things. It's like, you know, it, it takes time for things to set in. Oh. But the, 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 the realization, the change can occur like this. It, you just need that one thing to spark the change. You're but it's just, right. it's, it's overriding all of the stuff that you thought and were taught that that maybe at the time was what you needed, but they're no longer serving you. Right. Um, I, I agree with you. I mean, I tell about. I said, your brain going to say no to 90% of what I'm going to, to say in this lesson or uh, in our little chat together. And I can look at, look at the people's faces at this point of doing it for a while. And I already know when it's saying no, you know, but I can also demonstrate what I'm saying. And that makes a, that makes a big difference because I can go back and relate to how a certain person play, not understanding that the tapping thing or the ease of it, you know, cause I played that way for mm -hmm. a long time. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, let, let me ask you this because, you know, you, like Chuck, my James Morrison and, and yeah, yeah. James is, uh, he's just, uh, he's, he's a force of nature. Yes. Uh, and, um, and there are players, I mean, like uh, Eric Miyashiro, Eric grew up in that that environment where trumpet was just a part of his life from, from the very beginning. Uh, you know, Wayne, another, you know, a great player who's, you know, he's playing, you know, loud, loud ass double C's when he was like, high you know, in high school. Um, but then there's the rest of us. Uh, so I, would you have, do you consider yourself to be a natural Absolutely. Player? No, I was not. I'm telling you, I was, it was, I was voted in college by my trumpet instructor who was, who was from the Eastman school of music, the worst student ahead. I said that year he goes ever. <laughs> it, was true. It, it was true. I, I saw many years later when I was playing in a pop band at that, at that college, uh, uh, at that city where the, the college went in Cape Girardeau, where I went to school and he was with his daughter. We always remained friends, but I just quit. I couldn't, I was so bad. I just, I quit. And that, and that's when I figured out I'm going to sit here and figure this thing out. I had no idea at the time it would take me, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm still learning. It never ends. But um, I played back at that college and he couldn't believe it was the same guy because I'm playing all the pop stuff that had all the, uh, you know, as I like to call them top tones. And, and he was just like marveling. He said, told his daughter, well, I had this guy as a student. He was the worst student I ever had. <laughs> the worst. And he was right. So I just became obsessed with it. I just, I don't know it was an obsession, man. I just figured out, I, I, I'm going to try and at least to my extent, figure out how this thing works. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a big lesson there. And, and that's why I wanted to ask that because, you know, you, you're going to have people all over the spectrum, you know, and, and people that are, that are enjoying our conversation right now, they're going to be people who are, who are pros. I mean, I'm, I'm so pleased and, and awed and, and humbled by the fact that, uh, you know, I have people all over the world that are, you know, some people that I admire as players that go, Oh yeah. Yeah. I really loved your interview with this person. Yeah, like, yeah, right. 
Yeah, holy cow. But you know, there's also there's also somebody right now who's listening to this who may be like ready to quit because of like, I'm never going to get it. I'm never going to be able to to multiple times. I'm never going to be able to play in the upper register. I'm never going to be able to improvise. Yeah, I'm the worst, I'm the worst student in my studio. Um, but you know, what you've shown is that you, know, you don't have to be the top guy at your school. You don't have to be the natural. You just have to have the work ethic. I, I think you have to want to do it. You know what I mean? I mean, I quit every day and start over the next day. Obviously, you learn things along the way, and you're not going to play like you did in high school. Or right. you know, I, I run into that, too. I was, I was first chair in high school. I go, well, that, in the real world, it doesn't really mean anything, except you were first chair in high school. I do get a lot of comeback players, a lot of comeback players. And they, a lot, just what you said, a lot of them quit because the instrument can make you feel miserable, you know? And we just try, just try to start them on the, what I think is an easier path and, and get them to enjoy it. You know, you want to enjoy playing. Yes. There are always going to be days where you'd like to take that thing and run a, run a truck over it. <laughs> I, I don't know too many people who haven't felt that way at one time or the other. And if they tell you they haven't, well, most of the time they're probably lying. Yeah. Because it's just a, Look, it's a hard instrument. I, I mean, I know other instruments are hard, but I don't think there's anything harder than the trumpet. And so inconsistent. You have to find it. You have to reach a level of consistency. And that's going to come from doing things correctly, repetitions over and over and over. That doesn't mean throw the Arbins book up there and play from the beginning of the Arbins book to the end. You'll be really good at playing the Arbins book and still might not be able to play the trumpet efficiently. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it just reminds me of a couple of things, you know, uh, I, I think it was uh, Joey Tartell who said uh, the the way to become more consistent on the trumpet is be consistent on the trumpet. Yeah. yeah I mean, that, you have to sit and put the time in, you know, I have a few people I teach that, well, I got my half hour in today. I go half hour. <laughs> That's like nothing on a trumpet. I'm not saying you have to be down here for hours and hours, but you have to figure out what works for you and reach that level all the time. Again, what we said at the earliest part, when you're playing great, you never think about how it's working. It's only when it's bad. I had a few instances where I was ill and had to play gigs. I mean, really ill, like flu ill. And I played great. And that made a light bulb go off and go, because A, I didn't care to be there. I was more interested in where the restroom sign was <laughs> being on the stage, you know, and, uh, but I remember I got, I'd get home and go, I played really easy tonight because I couldn't play. I couldn't play like I played because I physically could not do it. And that would start a light bulb and that would chart a chain of events. So, I mean, you learn from your lessons, as you said, if you're yeah. smart, you learn from your lessons yeah. and you learn from mistakes. Definitely learn from your mistakes. Yeah. Well, you, you either will or, or you'll quit. Yeah. yeah. Or you'll, you'll play the same level as you played. I just know guys that, well, I've got this uh, routine and if I don't do it and I see them years later and they've never, I mean, there has to be some kind of room for improvement. That's what I come down to. There's got to be something I can, there's plenty I can improve at. Take my word for it. But there has to be room for improvement every day in your playing somehow. Yeah. And it yeah. goes in spurts and then it'll be spurts backwards, but you just stick with it. Yeah, that's uh, like one of my my favorite uh, phrases that that I've I've heard and I've used over the years is learning to embrace the suck. You know that that's we should have a bumper sticker of that on our case. Yep. 
embrace the suck because I mean, that's what it is. It, it's the, uh, the willingness to put up with the discomfort uh, in martial arts. The, the, in, uh, there's a, a saying uh, in Chinese, they say eat bitter. So if you eat bitter, then you enjoy the sweet. So it's, it's the, the hard gritty practice, the, you know, the, the dirt, the, everything that, that goes into that, that uh, struggle when you come through on the other side, then it's like, oh man, this is so great. Well, but think, think think how your martial arts and trumpet are kind of related. Oh, absolutely. I tell up, I don't, I, I don't play golf, you know, because I can't get it through the windmill. But I'm telling you, golf and anything like that is related. You see people that make it look so easy. It's because they've done it for a long time, are natural, and have done it correctly for so long. Yeah. Well, even the, the naturals, uh, you know, the, there, there still is a level of work that has to go into that, you know, and because the world, the world's, the world's full of, of, uh, you know, naturals, uh, that, uh, they haven't amounted to anything, you know, that's true. I, I remember a trumpet player here in St. Louis and it was so easy for him to play the trumpet that he was bored and he never, he never stuck with it. He, it was just boring. And I thought, I remember standing next to a guy when I was a kid and thinking, man, if I could play like that, I'd just never stop playing, you know, because at that point, I it was just impossible for me to even dream of playing like this guy played. But he, he didn't find it interesting. And maybe that's why I stuck with it, because I wasn't a natural. It could be, you know, yeah. I remember when I was looking for a title uh, for the, the new uh, recording, I thought too stupid to quit would have been a great <laughs> Yeah, well, well, speaking of which, I mean, you you did uh, Quarantunes last year, which I mean, you, you've got you've got great titles there. You know, the titles of your albums and your tunes are definitely uh, a little bit on the snarky side, which I enjoy. Uh, but uh, Quarantunes and, and I really expect, one of the things I love about Quarantunes uh, is the the track, the bonus track that you have on there, Wash Your Hands. Right. So you're you're uh, you're. Your timer for it was a little timer because that at that point that was that was the beginning of March March 2020. Um, that's what you were told to do, you know, wash your hands. And I remember you had to do it a certain time. I thought, man, I'm gonna I'm just gonna make a little goofy tune at the end that will be that exact timer. Not that anybody's used it, but yeah, I yeah. thought it was fun. Yeah, but um, yeah, your your latest uh, release, still kicking brass. I think that that actually sums it up because that's what you're still doing. So yeah, I'm an old guy and I'm still kicking brass. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I really, I have a lot of fun with with this music. A and what got me into music in the first place was fun. You know, when I would go to a Maynard concert in the early '70s, it was fun. It was exciting, and and he was just an exciting person to be around, whether he was on stage or off stage. He was all about fun yeah. and got to have some fun. You can't, it can't be. Yeah. You got to be able to play a little bit, but please have some fun every day. You believe me, if you just think that process, your life's going to be a lot easier. Have some fun every day, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I know. I think for, from a personal perspective, uh, when I, was uh, kind of coming back to the trumpet a little more seriously. Uh, you know, one of my teachers, you know, I was, I was just so frustrated because uh, 
I didn't have time to com to commit to my practice because I'm you know, I'm running a business. I'm you know doing all these different things, and I I didn't have the amount of time. There are day there would be days where I you know, I'm pulling eighteen hour days, and I can't come home and practice and wake the neighbors. So, you know, and I, I come in and I go, look, I'm so sorry, man. I just, I haven't had time to work on my lesson. I'm, I'm wasting your time. I'm wasting my time. And I'm, I'm so frustrated. And, and he's like, well, why are you here? And I'm like, well, what do you mean? So well, why are you playing trumpet? I said, because I love playing it. He goes, well, then let that be the, the motivator. Don't worry about whether you're learning this new etude or you're you know, doing able to do this, let's just come in for an hour every week and play trumpet and have fun. Yeah. And I made so much progress after that because I stopped putting pressure on myself to get better. It was just, I'm going to have fun and I get better because just like, you know, talking about high notes and stuff, I'm not trying to play higher. I'm not trying to play better. I'm just having fun. And right. by relaxing. And it's a mindset thing. Yeah. It's that thing instead of instead of beating the beast to death enjoy the company of the beast you, you you hit it on the head there's so much that the mind has to do with everything but it's and you can really apply that mindset to trumpet because most of the people by the time i see it they found me they're so frustrated and all the joy is out of it i mean they, i mean there's days i don't want to pick this up and some days i don't but i've always had the mindset of of trying to play more efficiently, you know, yeah. and, and have, I definitely have fun when I'm out playing. Yeah. So, uh, and you may have already answered this, but let, I'll just make it very clear and concise. If there's just one piece of advice that you'd want to give to somebody about their approach to, to playing trumpet, what would that one piece of advice be? You said it in different books. It's, it's all out there and it's all been, it's all been figured out before and written down before and stated before, but the, the best advice I can give, give comes from, uh, and I know uh, all trumpet players have probably seen Rafael Mendez do that Mexican hat dance video, you know, where he plays Mexican hat dance. And he says on that video, it should take no more air to play this trumpet than to have this conversation. Man, when I saw that in 1968 or so, I had no idea what he meant by that, you know, you don't, I'm not talking to you going, hey, Jose, think about that. Right. And then maybe let all your air out or think about just having a conversation on that middle C, C scale. And I'll bet you it sounds better. I bet you it's a better sound than forcing 20,000 pounds of air pressure through the horn or think about that analogy of the sink and try to play the trumpet like that and just see if it sounds better. That might just open a door for you. Oh, that's awesome, man. I love it. I love it. All right. Well, I'm, we got two segments that we got to get through yeah. before we end, uh, end our time together. I mean, I, I really miss talking to you, man. This has been so, so true. I feel bad for anybody's going to watch this because I just rambled on for a long. Oh no, man, this is perfect. This is perfect. So, all right. So uh, the first, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to do uh, our geared up segment. So geared up is just where we're going to uh, just talk briefly about your gear. And particularly what I want to know is just like your concept 
of you know, your approach to gear and you know what you're looking for and, and how you would advise people to to approach their the gear that they use well there's always a lot of talk of mouthpiece if i get especially guys that want to play i should get a smaller mouthpiece well it's not one size fits all uh and i my approach i mean i play a really small mouthpiece compared to a lot of people it doesn't mean because a small mouthpiece the sound has to be small no it's just what i grew up comfortable with so I would say find something that you feel comfortable with and stick with it. Mainly by comfort, I mean the rim feels good on your lips. What feels good to me might not feel good to you. And you might buy a small mouthpiece and you're coming from a 3C. Well, I'm going to get a smaller mouthpiece to play high. It's not going to work because the, the little mouthpiece is not going to feel like a 3C. So if you're looking for that kind of switch, maybe get a 3 with a shallower cup. But maintain some kind of rim you know, I got a lot of mouthpieces here, but they all basically have the same rim that I played on for many years. And I'll mess with backboards and cups just for different sounds because I like that. There's players I know play the same mouthpiece from high school and sound great on it. I'm just a guy that likes the experiment because the more efficient I get, it seems the smaller I can go. If that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Man, I try, especially with COVID, I got into a thing where I'd sell a horn, buy a horn, sell a horn, buy a horn. Because you just don't know. Uh, I'll, I'll preface it up by saying I had several Doc Severinsen Getsons. I didn't sound like Doc Severinsen. I had an MF horn. I didn't sound like Maynard, you know. Uh, but I like trying different horns. And I play a lot of different horns. Even on my recordings, I might want a certain sound or something. Uh, I usually fall in the months at a time on a certain horn for whatever reason. And different gigs might require things. But really... I think it's fun to try different horns. Should you? No. Or, or it's not the horn that's going to make you sound better. That's the other thing. I can pretty much sound like me on any horn, good or bad. It's still me on whatever horn I pick up. But I really enjoy playing different horns. I yeah. get out of it. And there are horns that are better for me than others. Another guy, you know, I could come to your house and you could play my horn and go, good Lord, how do you play this thing? And you sound great on it. So... It's always fun, man. I I mean, for me, I've tried vintage horns up to modern horns. I, I just love playing horns. Currently, playing a 6310Z that literally was owned by my best friend many years ago when we both had them. And, uh, I've you know, there's not many horns I haven't tried. Mouthpiece-wise, yeah. I'm playing a Mark Curry right now. Mark's great. He's made all kinds of different backboards and cups with the same rim. KO at Stomby, Jim New, I mean – just about everybody at some point I've gotten a mouthpiece from for me, that's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, if you can do it, man, yeah. <laughs> have fun with it. The way I look at it is look, if I sold this horn and I got this much of money, I could buy another horn and try it. There, there's always a market for horns out there. And there's always the newest horn that's going to make me play better. They usually don't. Cause I can pretty much suck on everything. <laughs> So yeah, you can if, if you're looking for a horn with a, uh, a triple C pre-installed, uh, talk to Jim Manley. He'll uh... try to find one for you. But <laughs> I haven't found one yet. All right, cool. All right, so final segment of the show today is our Robinson's Remedy Rapid Fire Round, brought to us by good friends at Robinson's Remedies. Uh, show you chop some love. Stuff, great, right? Look right here. Oh, there. That's what we're got, talking about. I got one in my case. I got one upstairs. That, I mean. It's not something you 
have to use every day. But there are those days where you got the third set coming up and the corners are saying, uh, yeah, I don't want to play the B-flat trumpet tonight. Yeah. This stuff is amazing. Yeah, yeah. My, my my wife actually loves it uh just the, the original the the uh remedies yeah. uh just because uh you know she has problems with with cold sorcery once in a while and she tried and said hey this is great stuff and it's the best stuff out there yeah we we keep it we're staunch supporters of kenny robinson yeah he's so. a great guy great trumpet player and this yeah. I'm so I'm so happy for me that he came up with this formula. Oh yeah, oh yeah, lifesaver, man! All right, so here we go. It's a, a, a series of uh, questions all over the place. Need your quickest responses, and here we go, Mr. Jim Manley. My mindset. Oh boy, here we go, squirrel. And here we go, Jim. First question: Who is the biggest influence on your life that is not a trumpet player? Oh, by far, my mom, my mother. Okay. Very funny person. All right. Uh, what's your favorite book? Uh, I really, I really, I read a lot of biographies, but I really, I really, when I was younger, I really dug into uh, the inner game of music. Hmm. Uh, well, I, I don't know if that was the title of it, but I, yep. there was the inner game of tennis and inner game of music mm-hmm. by a piano player, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, okay. Uh, what's the worst movie you've ever seen? Well, a movie that I love that's bad. Uh, Oh, what's the name of it? Uh, uh, Plan Nine from Outer Space. Plan Nine from Outer Space. Uh, that's a that's a winner. <laughs> so much fun. Yeah. Uh, if you weren't a trumpet player, what would you want to be? I would have liked to try to have been a comedian or a filmmaker. Yeah. I don't know why, but I, I always I, I love comedy. I've always loved comedy, and uh, yeah, comedian. Yeah. Okay. What's your favorite drink? Uh, well, I like a lot of them, but. Uh, <laughs> We've had a few drinks at the ITG together. Oh, yes, sir, we have. <laughs> yes, we have. Uh, I like I like vodka. I'm drinking Tito's lately. Uh, it, it, I like I like vodka and club. Okay, okay. Uh, the correct answer for a trumpet player is your favorite drink is a free drink. It would be a free drink. Um, you could have a dinner party and invite any three living people, any three people in the world. Who would you want to have at that party? Uh, well, I think for me, it would be trumpet players. Uh, uh, obviously how could you not have dinner, not want to have dinner with, uh, uh, one of the icons doc, just to hear the stories, man, you know, just to hear the stories. I, I love, I've had many, many, uh, conversations and hangouts with Bobby shoe, but I'd invite him again just for the stories. And, uh, um, Maybe Randy Brecker. I'd like to have Randy Brecker. I, I've had several conversations with him too, but I think that'd be fun to sit with him because he's done it all also. Yeah. Yeah, man. The, the stories that you would get from that night. Oh my gosh. Um, okay. Uh, same, same scenario. You've got uh, the, the dinner party going on. You can invite any three people from history. Well, for me again, <laughs> well, one would be my high school band director who unfortunately passed when I went to college, but I'd love to sit around and, and chat with him again, man, because he'd, he'd be, he'd be so happy to see all the guys that he taught that still play trumpet. He'd just be so excited. He, he was only 47 when he passed away. He was a young guy, you know, at the oh, time man. I thought that was not 47. He's pretty old, but he's young. Yeah. Uh, I spent, I, I'm lucky that I, I did get to spend, spend time with Maynard off the bands, off the bandstand and dinners and, and, and such, but, uh, I'd love, you know, how could you not have stories? Yeah. 
And uh, a guy that not many people talk about, but I used to literally fly to L.A. to see because he played a little piano bar. And another reason is is not so much to talk trumpet, but great stories is Jack Sheldon. I just love oh, yeah. Sheldon. And some of my best memories are sit, sitting in a little place uh, in L.A., one of L.A. cities, uh, with him on with Jack on trumpet and Ross Tompkins on piano. Man, those are some of the greatest nights of my life. Yeah. Here, Jack Sheldon, and just he's just was a funny guy. Mm-hmm. Funny man. Yeah, yeah, funny guy and great player. Man. Oh, man, great player. Yeah. All right, lacquer plated or raw? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Lacquer plated or raw? Oh, yeah. uh, my Z horn is 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 raw just because I bought got it that way, but. I like lacquer. Can't stand silver, not because of the sound, because I do not want to spend an hour a day polishing. Good point. Uh, what is your favorite quote? Boy, that's a, that's a hard one. Man, I, I think I'm going to go back to that Mark Twain thing we said earlier. Uh, the smarter, the the older I got, the smarter my dad got. Or <laughs> Bobby says, uh, "When a student is ready, the teacher will appear." Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Very good. All right. What's your greatest fear? Oh man, I, I used to have I, I I don't know not living long enough to play learn this thing probably and I'm not afraid of dying but I mean just not having the time just not having the time to put put even more time into the trumpet really okay. you know like you said life can get in the way yeah it's not a fear necessarily I, I'm not I'm not afraid of missing notes when playing or anything like that I I, I don't know I do have a fear of spiders if that counts oh that can count. Uh, all right. Uh, you could be granted one superpower. What would it be? Oh, definitely live forever to figure this thing out. <laughs> or maybe Maynard's chops. That uh, <laughs> that, yeah, that's a superpower. All right. Uh, what aspect of trumpet playing do you feel is the most overrated? Oh, definitely playing high. Definitely. Yeah. And I say that with, with, with the, with, uh, let me back that up by saying, everyone who not everyone should play high let me just put it that way you know when yeah. you i think of think of maynard and play musically uh not that i haven't played many high things unmusically but and that's the pinnacle right there you know yeah all right uh what aspect of trumpet playing do you feel is the most underrated a ballad playing by far okay think, man if you're playing uh you know so fast and so quick and and maybe tongue and all that. I think the absolute hardest thing to play is play a pretty ballad. That that's a lot more demanding to me than than a lot of things that you could do on a trumpet. Yeah, yeah. I think that if if there is if someone was giving me like the like you can only do one thing, you can only play one thing for the rest of your life. I think I'd choose to play ballads. You know what? The the, the older I get, the more I really love love ballads, man. I mean. And I love playing them, you know. I mean, it's really, that's a challenge. Yeah, yeah. All right, you're, you're able to uh, go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice about music. What would it be? One piece of advice about music. Um, I'd have to say, if I told me, me you're talking about. You. Practice by far. Practice more. Practice more. And practice thinking. Don't just play you know practice efficiency yeah use your time efficiently practice mm-hmm. okay uh while you're back there you're going to give yourself uh one piece of advice about life uh have fun 
have fun, man. There's got to be something funny every day. It's just you just have to have fun. You can get bogged down in the seriousness of everything. Just give give yourself the ability to laugh at yourself and laugh with others. Yeah, that's good. And finally, Jim, what do you want your legacy to be? Oh man, I I have to go with the fun thing that I was fun to be around, man. I that, I mean that's pretty much for me. Uh, it was a good time to be around, you know, good time, have a good time around me. That's to be, would be good. Yeah. Well, you have done that, my friend. You're always a joy to talk to. And, uh, having me, man, it's been, it's been a blast seeing you and, and chatting. Oh, well, I, I think it's going to be, uh, once, uh, once things loosen up a little bit, uh, I think it's going to be time for another lesson or 50 with you. Down here. Yeah. We'll get together. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And uh, yeah, if you're interested in learning more about and from Jim, uh, make sure you check out his website. Uh, the link's in the show notes and uh, you can purchase uh, for download all of his uh, wonderful recordings, including his uh, corn tunes from last year. And of course, his latest release, Still Kicking Brass. Uh, schedule yourself a, a virtual lesson. And uh, trust me, if you're, if you're looking for uh, a way to make your playing more efficient, uh, Jim's got some really great insights and, and delivers them at a, uh, a, a kindergarten level. So even even you trumpet. <laughs> it, it, so every trumpet player can understand that it, it's almost it's almost dumbed down enough for a trombone player to understand. <laughs> so. Well, they're going to love you, man. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, yeah, they'll get over it. So, anyway, thanks for joining us on this episode of the Trumpet Gurus Hang. And as always, peace and slide grease. We're out. Thanks for hanging with us today. This podcast is all about creating deeper connections through our mutual love of music and the trumpet life. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast and also like and share this episode with a friend. We want to see the hang grow for show. Please support our sponsors and consider becoming a personal supporter of this podcast as well. Remember, for less than the price of a bottle of valve oil a month, you can keep this podcast moving smothly. The Trumpet Guru's Hang is recorded at the Candy Factory, a co-working space and social club located in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Jose Johnson is the executive producer. Post-production editing is by Mitch Bowers. Our opening theme song was composed and performed by Lexi Signal. And our closing theme music comes courtesy of The Greatest Funeral Ever. Incidental music is by Ethan Swayze and Jose Johnson. Graphic design by Ann Kirby of the Sweet Corps. The Trumpet Gurus Hang podcast is produced in collaboration with the So Good Lancaster Media Group. Mm-hmm.